if you noticed what really happened, when, when somebody whispers, you kind of get really close, don't you? You've you got to push your face up to their mouth. Can I hear what you're saying? Now, God speaks with a small, still voice. There's this passage, I don't expect you to be able to read that, it's quite small, I'll read it to you, from 1 Kings. Uh, th this is the account with uh, the prophet He's, he's had this incredible experience. He's, he's killed 700 prophets of Baal. Uh, he's seen this major, major miracle take place. And um, all kinds of things have been happening. And then he meets up with Jezebel. And he's scared. And he runs. Uh, even in his running, I mean, it was a miracle. It, it says he outran the, the chariots uh, down the mountain. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. And here he is hiding away, and God comes to him, and the Lord says, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, because the Lord is about to pass by. Now, if God, you, you're afraid, and you want to hear from God, you want some encouragement, how is God going to speak? And so here's this prophet, this man of God, standing on the mountain, and a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. Surely, God, the mighty God, the one who answered my prayer by sending fire from heaven to consume not only the offering but the entire altar, surely he's going to speak to me from this mighty wind. But the Lord was not in the wind. Well, maybe, perhaps the prophet is thinking, maybe it's because, you know, there's still sin. We need, I need the fire of God. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. It's going to burn out everything. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mountain of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let's pray. God, help us. Amen. Sometimes we, we feel like we need a hearing aid to hear God. Or is that just me? I really pray that God would speak louder. I mean, wouldn't that make our lives so much easier? If, if, if you and I could hear God audibly, I mean, surely we would, we would do what he says. 
some wise person says, maybe. <laughs> but it really would be a whole lot easier, simpler, wouldn't it? If God just spoke audibly, clearly, loudly. Now, I, I, I do want to just say, as a, a, a disclaimer, um, God is not in the habit of speaking to you and I audibly. He, he can. I mean, one of, oh my goodness, one of the craziest experiences I had was in South Africa uh, with one of, the, one of the ladies from our, our church. Uh, this, this, oh man, this, this lady was just an incredible woman of God. Her name was Victoria. And uh, I, I was driving back from a prayer meeting with Victoria, and, and I, I mentioned to her, um, you know, I, I made this comment, you know, I, I really wish God would, would speak to me in an audible voice. And, and she replied with this like thick Zulu accent. She says to me, but he speaks to me audibly. And I, I, I almost crashed the car. I said, excuse me? She says, he always speaks to me in a voice. I can hear him. I'm like, now, um, <laughs> th that still hasn't happened to me. <laughs> um, Victoria, she's with Jesus now, bless her. Um, I, I conducted her funeral, and there were, there were over 3,500 people at her funeral. Um, just a teacher at a, a, a government school but she had dignitaries from government coming to pay respects to her. A woman who walked so closely with God. Now, that's not the norm, okay? Um, God speaks to us through, primarily through the Bible. That's why we call it God's word. Uh, and so that's gonna be the, the obvious place that, that you and I would would get direction from God. But when he does speak, this is my experience, is, is it's more like a, it's a sense, it's a feeling. And it's, it's very gentle. It's, it's like a still, small voice. That's what we're talking about. It's very easy to miss My point is still, why? I think it's because God wants us to put our face as close as possible to his because he desires that intimacy. He desires it. That's the point of my talk today. If, if you've heard uh, many of my other messages, what I typically like to do is I like to take one passage of scripture and then kind of break that down. But today we're going to jump around the Bible a little bit. We're not going to play spiritual hopscotch, but I just want to show you one point, and that is God desires an intimate relationship with us. That is why I think He speaks in a whisper. Psalm 32, verse 8. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Thanks, God. I need instruction. I want you to teach me. How are you going to do it? I will guide you with my eye. Interesting, that. This is from a very literal translation of the Bible, the, the New King James. Um, again, if you've heard me preach, you'll know it's not my favorite translation. But in this particular instance, the literal translation is, is far more accurate than what the ESV or the NIV or the New Living Translation would say. They, they would say uh, that, that God says, I will guide you and keep my eye on you. In other words, I'm going to look after you the whole time. But the literal Hebrew translation is, I'm going to guide you with my eye. Think of this for a moment. Father and child. I, I, I remember quite clearly my um, churches back in South Africa where, where my wife and I were serving uh, huge congregations and, and my children, I didn't want my children to ever feel that, that I have, you know, I, I've replaced my affections for them with affections for the people of the, the congregation. And so I, I had these, this little language, especially with my daughter, there's, there's always a kind of, dads, would you agree with me? There's like a special relationship between dad and daughter, uh, which is just, it's, yeah, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, it's just dad and daughter is just kind of, it's not to minimize mum and kid, you know, son or daughter, mum's relationship is amazing, but a dad and a daughter. So, so here's what we used to do, myself and, and my daughter. I would look at her across this crowded room and I would just do this. And she knew what that meant. It wasn't, you know, one, two, three, you better stop what you, no, no. It was, I love you. And it became like our thing. We'd, we'd even be sitting in the lounge watching a movie and she would turn to me and she would just go, it kind of just melts your heart, doesn't it? But because of that intimate relationship, she could be standing with a group of friends and she'd want, you know, they're talking about going out or whatever, and she would want to know, can she go with them? And she'd just have to turn to me, and it was just a look in my eye, and she would know, okay, I shouldn't ask about this. Or she'd know, just by looking at my eye, she would know, okay, it's okay, I can do this. when she came to tell me about this young man who had captured her heart. She could see in my eye as it lit up that what I was gonna say was good. And I tried to make light of it. I said, well, he's a guitarist, so he must be all right. They lead worship now in a church that they attend in Cape Town. Uh, the point I'm trying to get at is God desires this relationship with us, which is so intimate that he wants us to be so close to him that, that with his eye, he can guide us. Do we have that level of intimacy in our relationship with Jesus?
God is the one who wants this intimacy. For some reason, we've stopped. Please, can you go? Uh, there we go. This is um, Paul's part of Paul's sermon uh, when he was standing on Mars Hill talking to the wisest of the wise. And, and he, he said this, and he, talking about God, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and he's determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. You, you, have you ever sat and wondered, God, why did you do all of this? Why did you make creation? Why did you create? Why did you make human beings? Why? Why? If, if you didn't make human beings, we wouldn't have sinned. You wouldn't have had to sacrifice your son. God, why did you do this? He did it so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. And he goes on to say, because as one of your poets have said, in him we live and move and have our being. God has done everything that he has done just in the hope that his creation would grope for him. And in their seeking, they would find him. God desires a relationship with us more than what we even desire for to have a relationship with him. The covenant that God has made with his people, and we are in the New Testament, the, the recipients of that covenant as well, but with his people, the Jewish nation, this, this was the covenant. There's three parts to this covenant, and I guess... There we go, the I love you again. Um, but it's, he, he says, I will walk among you. I will be your God. You will be my people. Those are the three elements of God's covenant with mankind, which are repeated throughout scripture. I will be your God. You will be my people. I'm gonna walk with you. And, and we read right in the very, very first book of the Bible, Genesis, that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He walked in the garden with them. Enoch. He walked with God and he was no more. God desires to walk with us. He will be our God. We, we will be his people. That's the covenant. How is he with us? Because he is so holy, he cannot be in the presence of sin. So what he did is he gave Moses instructions on how he could be with the people. Make this tabernacle. And I'm not going to get into a whole teaching on this. I, in fact, it's just too detailed to tell you that there were different, different portions of this tabernacle. There would be the place where they made the offerings and where the people could come. And then there was a separation. And then there was a place where, where only the priests could go. And I'm not going to tell you all of that. But, but even beyond the priests, there was this place where only the Ark of the Covenant was. And the Ark, well, to use crude language, it, it, was, it was a box. It was, it was covered in gold and it had these, these incredible 
uh, uh, carvings and 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 there was there were these two angels carved out of wood and coated with gold and and their wings would would touch above the the box and in the box were were very important items Aaron's rod which which showed the people that God had chosen the the priesthood and Aaron was the priest and and there was there was the manna which was kept from going off you know, typically it would go off in, in 24 hours, but it, it, it lasted in, the, in the, the box. And there was the commandments that God gave to Moses. But what was inside the box was not as great as what was outside. Scholars, people who have studied this have said that above the ark, more or less between, as the, the wings of these angels touched, there was a visible presence of God. This like bluish light emanated from the ark. People wouldn't see it because separating the holy of holies from the holy place was this this curtain which was as as thick as a man's hand is wide that, that's about five six inches wide the, the thick thick material because if sinful man could see that there'd be problems if if you know your Bible reasonably well, you'll know that uh, we're going to be celebrating this in a few months' time, Easter. Uh, when, when Jesus died on the cross, you know, before he actually surrendered his spirit, the, the entire land went dark. It was black. No electricity, no, no can. It was black. Question, how did they know that the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? Because as they looked down at the temple from Golgotha, and remember no roofs in those days, it was they could see the light appearing from top to bottom. And they knew that the curtain had been torn. So Moses had this tabernacle. God took them into the promised land. Solomon, David's son, Solomon, built a temple. And if you thought the tabernacle was amazing, the temple was spectacular. Built with only the best materials and, and the same sort of compartments. Court of the Gentiles, holy place, holy of holies. And the Ark of the Covenant was in there. But there was something that happened in between the tabernacle and the temple. Oh, let's, sorry. There we go. There was something that happened in between the tabernacle and the temple. And uh, I've jumped ahead of my, myself. So let me, let me just keep with my notes here. Remember that point, okay? Can you do that? Remember that point. Here we go. God said this, if my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and ask me for whatever they want, I will give it to them. That's not what it says, eh? Um, but we think that that's what prayer is all about because that's how we interpret what Jesus said, ask the Father anything in my name and, and he'll give it. And then we get upset when we ask for a new Mercedes and we don't get it. Because the background to Jesus saying that, every person that he said that to, they would have known this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face, not my hand, not what I can do for them, seek who I am. And you know what? If you and I seek God for who he is, not what he can do, well then we'll get whatever we want because what we want is him. David repeated that in the Psalms and that is aligned with all of scripture's teachings. God wants us to be close to him. What separates us as Christians from every other person on the planet? God says, I will personally go with you. He, he said this to Moses. He said, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses says, if you don't go personally with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on me and your people if you don't go with us? Because, here's the important part, your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the people on the earth what makes you and I different from the people who are not in church right now I'm, I'm not a, a better person I'm not more generous I'm not more loving I, I yeah I used to think well I'm, I'm forgiven that's what no I am forgiven but that's not the key element to remember. It's the fact that the presence of God goes with me. He is my God. I am his child. And he, he walks with me. That's what separates you and I from everyone else. The presence of God. Acts chapter 15 verse 16. This is the passage I jumped to <laughs> um, in my mind. Acts chapter 15, verse 16, God says this, Afterward, I will return and I will restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. You see, in between Moses' tabernacle and Solomon's temple, there were a couple of centuries but something happened, something significant happened. The Philistines captured the box, the ark. And they took it off to their land and they, they placed it in the temple of their god, Dagon. And I, I mean, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. Um, they leave the Ark of the Covenant in the temple with Dagon. And there's this huge statue of this God, Dagon. And in the morning, they go to their temple and the statue has fallen on its face. 
and the hands have snapped off. It's as if God's saying, your God can't do anything for you. And so the Philistines are filled with fear. They put the ark of the covenant on the back of some oxen and they send it off and it goes back to the people of Israel. Long story short, perhaps when I come back next time, next month, I, I might tell you we could preach onto what happened. A guy by the name of Obed-Edom. Um, just incredible, incredible encounters with God. Um, but we'll leave that for another time. David wants to now bring the ark back to Jerusalem. So what he does, he gets everything according to the way Moses said. And now they, they're full of fear because of this holy God. I mean, the first attempt to take the ark back to Jerusalem, the, the, the oxen stumbled and, and a guy by the name of Uzzah, he, he just put out his hand to try and prevent, to, to try and help God. There's a whole sermon in there. And as he touched the ark, flash of lightning, and he was ash. One flash and you're ash. That's it. Now, nobody else wants that to happen. So David, he says, you know what? We're going to do everything the way Moses said. We're not going to put the the ark on uh, oxen or in any we, we're going to carry it and so here with these levites they they put the ark on their shoulders and they walked one step everyone okay yeah two steps everyone still okay three four five we still all right six wow Let's celebrate. They stop. They put the ark down. David slaughters hundreds of cattle. They make offerings. Let's go. One, two, six steps. Stop. Sacrifice. Pick up. Six steps. That's how they went all the way from the house of Obed-Edom to Jerusalem. How many thousands of cattle? I, I don't know. Uh, it took a long time. And then, imagine you're one of those people carrying the ark. I mean, the anxiety levels and, and all the rest and the joy and the fear and the joy and the fear. and the. How would you feel when you finally get to Jerusalem and David says, far enough? It's like, guys, let's go home. Uh, with all those sacrifices, I, I'm just kind of, I, I, can, I can taste steak in my mouth right now for the vegetarians my apologies um, but I, I just want to go home there's a barbecue waiting for me and some some red wine and I, I need to relax ice bath any kind of bath I'm just covered in blood right now David says no because this is where it gets real and so he set up a rotor he said, who wants to play music? Just by the way, first hand up was a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. He says, who wants to be a dancer? First hand up was a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. Who wants to be a singer? First hand up was, you get the story. But, and these people volunteered. And David said, okay, now worship. 
And they worshipped, do you know how long for? 36 years. Question, why did God say, when I come back, is one of the houses I'm going to restore? No, no, it's not Moses' tabernacle. It's not, it's not Solomon's temple. It's that ramshackle, temporary dwelling that David set up for me. That's the one. That's my favorite house. That's where I want to be. Tommy Tenney, he describes it like this in this book, The God Chasers. He, he says, the only thing encircling God's presence in David's tabernacle were the worshipers who ministered to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for 36 years. In other words, you and I are standing watching what's happening. We're part of the congregation. And as the dancers do their thing, we can begin to see through their bodies that light, the presence of God. There was no separation between God and his people. Can you begin to see God's desire to be close to his people? God desires intimacy with us. Tommy Tenney also says this. He says, you and I, we want God encounters, but God, he wants man encounters. Why do we come to church? Because we want to get close to God. Hey, 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 there's something more important happening here every Sunday. God is getting close to us. In, in Acts, we read this about David. God removed Saul, replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. This is not what other people said about David. This is what God said about David. He said, David is a man after my own heart. Now, there's, there's two ways of of interpreting that phrase, David is a man after God's heart. And I believe both are accurate and true. The first way, which I think is the most common way to think of it, David had a heart after God. In other words, his heart was like God's. You know, David was someone who his heart broke with the things that broke God's heart. And that's great. I mean, we pray that, don't we? It's a scary prayer. God break my heart for what breaks yours. Um, David had that kind of a heart. But there's another way of interpreting that as well. David was after God's heart. He was chasing after God's heart. Where God is, David wanted to be. It was like Moses saying, God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. David was saying, God, I don't just want to be like you. I want to be where you are. Final passage, and I'll, I'll 
do my best to try and wrap up with this. This, this passage actually shows what I believe should be the goal of every Christian. It certainly is, it's my goal. Um, I have, have not reached this level of intimacy with God. In fact, the more I try to get close to God, it seems as if I'm getting further and further away. Anyone else experience that? This is just a snapshot of a moment in time with a prophet who had such an incredible ministry, anointing. Um, I mean, Elijah, we read about him already this morning. This is the guy who came after Elijah. His name was Elisha. And, and where we read of four massive miracles that, that happened during the life of Elijah, there were eight miracles that happened in the life of Elisha, massive miracles. One happened, possibly the greatest, one happened after he had died. That was number eight. You see, he was, he was dead and in his tomb. And, and there were some people taking their friend who died they were t trying to bury him, and some robbers came. And so they, in their attempt to hide, they threw the body of their friend into Elisha's tomb. And this dead body touched the bones of Elisha and came back to life. Th that's, that's how close Elisha was with God that even after his death, there was still so much anointing on his life that dead were raised to life. I mean, wow. So, so this is the man we're talking about. So this woman, but when she came to the man of God, I have to tell you who she is. She, she was someone who, who was barren. She went to the prophet. The prophet said, I'm gonna pray. He prayed, and in answer to his prayer, as one of the miracles, she gave birth to a son. And then this boy dies. So she says, where's the prophet? And she goes running to find the prophet. When she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him, caught hold of his feet. Gehazi, that's his servant, Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled but the Lord has not told me what it is. Do you catch the significance of that? So I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about you, but when God does speak to me, I get surprised. I'm like, you know, I'm reading my Bible and, and suddenly something drops and it's like, wow, th this is a... I text, phone my wife, text my wife, put it on Facebook. God says, you and I get surprised when we hear from God. Elisha got surprised when he did not hear from God. He knew God so well that he was surprised when he did not hear from God. 
that is a good goal to have. And, and that's not a, um, you know, I don't think we can say, I'm going to achieve that by 31st of December 2023. This is a lifetime, a lifetime of seeking his face, not his hand. You, you may have seen this up um, as the first slide, because that, that's my attempt at putting a title down, uh, more, not many. And I don't know how this applies to you, but, but personally, you know, I, I've, I've gone through stages of prayer where it's like, God, we, we, we need to see more people in the church and, and, and we need to see salvations and miracles. And, and, and I find myself praying for many, for many to come in, for many to get saved. I guess, you know, let's call it revival. But I think what we need to be praying, this is what I'm trying to pray for now, is instead of praying for many, I'm praying for more. More of God. Because if revival is going to happen, well, th th this is where it needs to be. Or this is where it needs to be. Um, I, I need more of God. Because if I can get more of God, read something in the Bible about if we lift Jesus high he will draw all men to himself and the only way that I can lift him high is by seeking his face getting so close to him imagine what could happen to this community Okay, so I, I know the names of two places. Down in Market, Kings Lynn. What, what else is nearby? What was that? Denver. Denver um, Wiz Beach is out there somewhere. And, and it, What would happen to Norfolk if a group of people, about 25, 30, were all to say, God, we want more. You know, that, that, that growth night. God, we, we want more. What would happen if 25, 30 men and women began to seek God's face? Would Norfolk look different? Would England look different? Would the United Kingdom look different? This is all it takes. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That's the key. God desires human encounters let's pray together God thank you for your word 
And, and my prayer today, God, is oh, can I be greedy and put myself in the front of the line and say, Lord, I need you to use your word to cut through this hardened heart Create within me an insatiable desire to seek your face. Do that, God, for each one of us, we ask. Let's just have a, a moment of quiet prayer where you pray for yourself, by yourself. No matter where you are in your spiritual walk right now, reach out to God. Come Holy Spirit. God, help us to understand the fullness of your passion for your creation. You made us with the intention, with the hope that we would seek after you. And in our groping, we would find you. Help us to understand the fullness of that. Amen.